Uh, Matthew 1, 18 through 25. Uh, Mateo 1, 18 a 25. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child by the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, Son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife. For that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. All right, keep your Bibles open or your phones place. Uh, let's pray again and go to God in prayer as we uh, look at his word. Father in heaven, Lord, we thank you for, um, Lord, this passage, your word. We thank you for the gospel, and we pray that you would, your spirit would perhaps dust off these pages for us, these verses that are maybe very familiar to us year after year that we've looked at through Christmas's past. We pray that we would see them anew, afresh, by your power, that you'd show us Christ, you'd show, show us and, and what are we are to do, you'd challenge us, you'd encourage us and comfort us. We pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, God uses unlikely means for salvation. This has always been the case. But also equally has been the case that his people, people have been discouraged. We doubt, we're disobedient in the face of God's unlikely means to save. If you go back with me to at the very beginning of the Bible, in the book of Genesis, God had told Abram, the father of the Jewish people, he had told him that he would be a father of many nations. Now, this was quite something because Abraham was very advanced in years, his wife was very advanced in years, and he had no children. So there was a problem. There was a huge problem. Uh, I'm going to read a little from Genesis 18 as we look at this. God goes to Abraham again and he gives him this promise. He says, the Lord said, I will surely return to you about this time next year and Sarah, your wife, will have a son. 
and Sarah was listening at the tent door. She was eavesdropping on this conversation between God and Abraham. Maybe a dangerous thing to do, as Sarah will learn. Now, Abraham and Sarah were old, advanced in years. The way of women had ceased to be with Sarah. So Sarah laughed to herself, saying, After I am worn out and my Lord is old? The Lord said to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh and say, Shall I indeed bear a child now that I am old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? At the appointed time, I will return to you. About this time next year, and Sarah will have a son. But Sarah denied it, saying, I did not laugh, for she was afraid. He said, No, but you did laugh. It's a serious thing to doubt God. But that can be all of us. I'm talking about myself. How can we be those who aren't discouraged when God works in unlikely ways, who aren't doubtful, who aren't disobedient at the unlikely means that he uses to work and to save? How could we not be like this? Because throughout Old Testament and redemption history, God has used unlikely means. And he still continues to do that. Let's look at this well-known passage to see how God has principally, he's done this in our lives. First we see in this passage, the first point that I want to make is we need courage to follow the Spirit. Because God uses unlikely means, we need courage to follow the Spirit. We see this in verses 18 through 20. Uh, the book of Matthew, the birth narrative of Jesus right here, is, it seems, from Joseph's perspective. While Luke, it seems to be from Mary's perspective. So we have Joseph's perspective here. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way, writes Matthew, when his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph. Before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. So, um, in that day, uh, betrothal was different than getting engaged is today. It was, um, it was a legally binding contract. You were basically, in the eyes of the law, um, married. Now, you were to wait to consummate that until the wedding, but you were considered good as married. Um, that's how it was. So it was, it was a big deal. Um, in fact, when you see later on where it says, it says he um, resolved to divorce her quietly, it required divorce, even though they hadn't had a marriage ceremony yet, because it was so serious. It was legally binding. And then it says that he spells out, all right, they had not come together. They'd waited. They'd been pure. Matthew wants us to know this, that there's no hint about the virgin birth and what is going on here and the power of God at work. It says that she was found to be with child by the Holy Spirit found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. So Mary was about four months pregnant at this point, about four months pregnant. And here's a surprise pregnancy. She was away with her uh, uh, Elizabeth, her relative, and now Joseph finds out. And to him, oh, wow, okay. 
Matthew wants us to know from the beginning, though, that this is God's work. This is from the Holy Spirit. Verse 19, And her husband, Joseph, being a just man and willing to put her and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. So it was accepted by all Jews, basically at this time, that the grounds for um, infidelity was divorce. So to put her away would be acceptable. And it says that Joseph was a just, righteous man who didn't want to make a scene. He didn't want to bring more shame on her, and so he would just... He was thinking, all right, he'd gather with just a few witnesses and divorce her quietly, put it away. Now, you can imagine Joseph. Let's try to put us in ourselves, yourselves, in his shoes for a moment. Perhaps he's been waiting all of his life for this, or all of his adult life. He's been preparing for this marriage. His friends, his family know about this marriage. And now he finds out his fiancée is pregnant. Now Joseph's life has been completely turned upside down. Completely turned upside down. And perhaps Mary, right, maybe tells her about the encounter with the angel Gabriel. But what is he supposed to think? There have been many women who have said down through history that Oh, it was an angel, or oh, something happened. What is he supposed to think? But Joseph, you see at this point, needed courage. He needed courage to live by faith, not fear, to follow the Holy Spirit. And we also, we need courage in our lives because the unexpected happens. Can I get an amen from anyone this morning? The unexpected can happen in our lives. Tragedy strikes. Life surprises you. It's an adventure following God. The Christian life isn't easy. We lose a loved one. Things don't work out as we hoped or planned. The future looks uncertain. God brings about and does unlikely things in our lives. So we need courage. We need courage to see God's hand through it. As believers, we need courage to see this Holy Spirit working in our lives. We don't get an angelic vision like Joseph does, but we're promised we do have something that is a sure word, the scriptures. We have God's word. We have courage to trust and obey his word to us. And this is what God does. He brings weakness, he brings trials, he brings unexpected things into our lives to draw us to him to draw us to him. And next time he does so in our lives, I want us to be able to say, all right, bring it on. Bring it on. Why? Because this. James, Jesus' brother, says this. He says, he writes this at the very beginning of his, of his letter. He says, count it all joy, brothers and sisters, when you meet trials of various kinds, various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. So friends, when something unexpected happens, we can say, all right, bring it on. Because God is going to make us more like his son, Jesus. 
He's working all things for our good. We can take courage and trust in God's working because God is going to make us look more like his son. That's his promise to us in the scriptures. Weaknesses and trials chase us to the Savior. They chase us to God, to rely on him, to depend on him. We need courage to follow the Holy Spirit because God provides salvation in Jesus through unlikely means. The next point I want to make is that we need to trust to embrace the Savior. We need trust to embrace the Savior. We see this in verses 21 through 23. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Excuse me, let me go back again. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for which that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and she will call his name, and you will call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord has spoken through the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel. So it says that she will bear a son by the Holy Spirit, but Joseph gets to name him. And the Lord tells him that this name is supposed to be Jesus. Now, around that time, parents were naming their children Jesus, which is the Greek equivalent to Hebrew Joshua. The Hebrew name Joshua, which means God saves. It means God saves. And the hope at that time was that there was an anticipated salvation through a Messiah who would purify his people and would save them from oppression from the Romans. That's what a lot of Jews from that time, they were thinking. It would purify their people and save them from oppression from the Romans. But the angel Gabriel reports here to Joseph an even greater news that he will have a son. He's going to save their people from their sins. He's going to save their people from their sins. And after all, this was a repeated promise throughout the Old Testament. Just as Jason talked about earlier, before in communion, how Isaiah prophesied that. And Isaiah prophesied that the Messiah would be an offering for sin and a sin bearer for all mankind. Isaiah 53. Through the prophet Jeremiah, God foretold that he would make a new covenant with his people, forgiving their sin and remembering their iniquity no more. Daniel also predicted that the Messiah would put an end to sin, atone for iniquity, and bring everlasting righteousness. Ezekiel spoke of a perfect prince who would provide for the offerings and to make atonement for sin for the household of Israel. See, all the scriptures point to him. All the scriptures point to Jesus. And this is humanity's problem, sin. Separation between us and God. Good works, social justice, societal restructuring, world peace, therapy, prayer will not cleanse us of our sin. Only Christ alone, the perfect offering received by faith. That is trust. Trust in him as Savior. Verse 22, it says, All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel. 
Here he quotes the prophet Isaiah. And it's really interesting. It's an obscure passage. My brother asked me the other day, he's like, are you going to mention this or about what, the, what, this, what he talks about here? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to attempt to. So about 700 plus years before that, Isaiah lived and was prophesying. And there was a, the kingdom of Israel was, there were two kingdoms. There was a northern kingdom and the southern kingdom of Judah. And Isaiah is there, he's prophesying to the king, King Ahaz, in, in Judah. And Isaiah tells him, because they were, Jerusalem right at that time was surrounded. It was surrounded by the king of Assyria and the king of Israel. So the king of Israel had come with the king of Assyria, Assyria, excuse me, Syria, Syria. Not to be confused with Assyria, my bad. <laughs> but with the king, of, the king of Syria and Israel, they're surrounding Jerusalem. But Isaiah goes and tells him, he says, King Ahaz, all right, Syria and Israel are gonna end up being deserted. They're gonna be deserted. And he says, you don't need to worry about this siege. All right, God is here, he's with us. And he says, hey, Ahaz, King Ahaz, ask God for a sign. And King Ahaz, uh, he's like, uh, he kind of waffles and he doesn't ask for a sign. So Isaiah says, all right, the Lord himself is going to give you a sign. The Lord says he's going to give you a sign. There's going to be a virgin who's going to give birth to a child. And when that child does not even know good and from evil. All right, so when they're still young, when they, that child grows up, starts to grow up, and they, when they don't even know good and evil, those two kings, the land of the two kings, are going to be deserted. All right, so you know you don't have to worry about this siege. And what ended up happening? The... Assyrians end up coming and destroying Damascus. They end up taking away the people of Israel. There ends up being fighting that happens, and this doesn't happen. So this, what happens is an amazing thing. So that there was a time where that virgin birth happened back then, 700 plus years ago, but then Matthew, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, sees this happen and puts it together. And there's, you see the layers of fulfillment and prophecy happen in the Bible. And here's one example of it, that he sees that, all right, it points to this greater fulfillment in Jesus with Mary. And he says, all right, let's look at these titles that Jesus is given during this time. He's given the title Jesus and Emmanuel. The name Jesus denotes what he does. God saves. The name Emmanuel denotes who he is. He's God with us. God with us. You see, in this passage from the beginning, we see that God had a plan for his people from the very beginning. Jesus, this birth, Jesus was destined to come and to save sinners. He wasn't just a plan B. And we see this throughout redemption history that God uses unlikely means, unlikely people, unlikely things like this poor virgin, Mary, this unlikely circumstance. He uses people like the patriarchs, a family line of thieves, of polygamists, of liars, of cowards and scoundrels to build his kingdom and start the Hebrew nation. He chose an old barren couple, Abraham and Sarah, to start a great nation of people 
from which the Messiah would come. He chose the younger instead of the older. He chose a man who was a murderer and inept in speech to be his spokesman to Pharaoh and to bring a nation of millions out of slavery. God chooses often the run of the litter, the least likely. He does unexpected things. He used Rahab, the prostitute. He uses Ruth, a non-Jewish woman, to save his people and continue the line of Messiah. He uses sinful men in strange ways, like in the book of Judges. Crazy book to redeem his people. He used judges who were left-handed, who were the least of their tribes and clans. He used unlikely women. He used idol worshipers. He used jars of clay to defeat an army of thousands. He used men in that who took rash vows, people who are murderers, fornicators, men who break their vows to save his people. God then used David, the youngest son of a shepherd, to defeat giants, to unify his people and raise him up as king from which the Messiah would come. God uses a ragtag group of people from humble and diverse means to be prophets, to rebuke kings, to encourage God's people. And so it only made sense that God would use this girl named Mary, a young virgin, to bear his son in a lowly animal's feeding trough, an obscure carpenter from Nazareth, to father his son, this son of David, to be the greatest king, visited only by lowly and smelly shepherds. You see, years later, God would use this man who was fully God, fully man, an obscure backwater Jewish man from Galilee with no formal theological training to establish his kingdom here on earth. That this man would go to a criminal's Roman cross, the Son of God, this Messiah, and he would pay for our sins, absorbing God's wrath, the perfect sacrifice, dealing with sin once and for all. And he was raised for the dead raised from the dead. And before he went, he went to his disciples and he said, I'm Emmanuel. I'm God with you. Go and make disciples. I will be with you until the end of the age. Don't you think, friends, that he might also use you in your life to spread this message that Jesus saves? Don't you think if you are weak and broken like me, that he's going to use us? Unlikely disciple, a jar of clay, saying that through the Holy Spirit, he would be with them. Have you trusted this Christ? Are you trusting him anew this Christmas? Again, we need trust to embrace this Savior. Why? Because God uses unlikely means to save through Jesus. He's going to use maybe the most, un want to save the most unlikely people, the most far gone people, the most lost people in your life. So don't count them out yourselves. Third thing we see in this passage, verse 24 through 25, we see we need obedience to walk with God. We need obedience to walk with God. When Joseph woke from his sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. This amazing thing right here. Joseph awoke from his sleep. It was Seems like a, uh, the angel appeared to him a vision in his dreams. 
and he obeys. He did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He fathered and adopted this child, and he names the child Jesus. Don't miss this. You see, Joseph would not maybe perhaps just obey because he had miraculously seen an angel and appeared to him. There's been many, many miracles that people have seen throughout the Bible and throughout time, and they didn't obey. Many people throughout history have done this. Think of the people that Moses brought out of the Promised Land. They saw God's, the ten plagues, amazing, amazing, ter terrifying acts of God. And then they rebel against God. They doubt that God's going to provide for them in the wilderness. But it, he provides manna. He provides water from the rock, but they still doubt and grumble against God. They don't obey him. Moses, Moses. That was with the ark, yeah. So people later rebel against him. Kings, also, for example, like Ahab and Jezebel, who witnessed the power of God through prophets like Elijah, still end up rejecting him. So friends, we ought to obey God on this adventure. Joseph right here, he's on an adventure, right? Unexpected pregnancy. And we too, this life as we're trying to follow Christ, it's a journey, it's an adventure. The unexpected happens. But we can obey his word. You, we can base our life on his promises to us. We can trust in Christ alone to save us, to fulfill our needs, that he is our significance, he is our identity. Where, as you think about Christmas, do you need him at this time? Where do you need salvation or deliverance in your life? Where do you need to know Jesus as God as with you in this time? Maybe for some of you, it's, it's in your finances. For some of you, maybe it's in a new job. Maybe it's you need God to work on a relationship in your life. Maybe it's an addiction you can't overcome. Maybe it's just believing what God says is right and wrong. Where do you need strength to obey in your life? God is working in your life, friends, in unlikely means. How does he want to work in your life through unlikely means. Maybe it's through conversations with neighbors and coworkers, with friends. Maybe it's through small acts of kindness. Maybe it's through a small church plant. Maybe it's through forgiveness, humility, sacrificial love, selflessness, gentleness, patience, faithfulness, things the world scorns, these unlikely means through faithful obedience over the long haul that God wants to use in our lives to save some, to work in people's lives. And so like Joseph, we can take courage. We can trust. We can look to walk with obedience to the one who provides a sin-bearing savior for us. Jesus, who still wants to work and provide salvation through unlikely means in our life and through our lives. Remember, we need courage to follow the Spirit. We need trust to embrace the Savior. 
We need obedience to walk with God because God provides salvation in Jesus through unlikely means. I pray that we would all know this in a fresh way as we come to Christ and celebrate him this Christmas season. Let me pray. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for your son that you've provided for us. Lord, that you came in such an unlikely way, not the pomp and circumstance of a king, not in royal honor and majesty, but as a humble child. We thank you, God, that you've given us a savior in Jesus. Lord, we pray that good news of the gospel would melt our hearts again that we would know more fully that this is God with us. He's God with us. He's a high priest that can sympathize with us. He's a God who will never leave us or forsake us. He's a God who's active and working in our lives. Lord, we thank you for Jesus. Pray that like Joseph, we would consider these things, and yet you would apply your word to our hearts in a new and fresh way this Christmas. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.